What happens when two former political staffers, one Labour and one Tory, meet? And become surprisingly good friends. Introducing the After Party Podcast. A comedy podcast about ideas, politics and truthfully an unlikely friendship. With me, Sarah Southern. And me, Chloe Green. Welcome to the After Party Podcast. Welcome. Hello. How are you, Chloe? I'm very well, babe. How are you? Yeah, tip top, thanks. Tip top. Have you had a lovely week? I've had a really good week. I went to see LaRue. What? Where was she playing at? At Fabric. Oh, that's nice. Well. That's very early 2000s, not? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't actually, I didn't actually rate the venue, to be honest. Because you think of Fabric as being like huge, amazing sound system, loads of dance area. But like, it's actually just lots and lots of pockets. You know, it's lots of rooms. Yeah. Weirdly, I've obviously been to Fabric in the discotheque sense. But uh, when I was doing my <laughs> MA at City University in Angel, mm. the uh, Fresh Affair was oh. in Fabric. And it was really weird because walking into a nightclub when it's not nighttime it's is horrible. a really weird experience. Because yeah. <laughs> the floor's really sticky and you're like, oh. Oh, people have clearly been like snogging oh. over there. Uh, so yeah, oh, well, that's mm. fun. I really like LaRue. I absolutely love LaRue. She's an icon. And I have, honestly, I'm I'm not being silly. I've got two notifications set up, right, for people who go on tour. <laughs> and there's loads of bands I like. Yeah. There's loads of music I like. But only two that I get notified. So when LaRue's have, one, I'm guessing. LaRue is one. The other, bit of a wild card, Stevie Wonder. Oh, I can see that. I can see that. I'm obsessed with Stevie Wonder and I'm obsessed with LaRue. Those are the only two people who I really, like, I don't want to get to, you know, the end of my life or the end of their life, having never seen them. Elton John would have been, but I've seen him. Uh, Mine is Kylie. I've seen Kylie. So have I, many times. Oh, really? Wow. Many times. (laughs) Uh, And... So I've seen her in big concerts, like mm. at the O2. And when I lived in Australia, I saw her at a big stadium in cool. Sydney. Uh, but me and my friend Laura went to GAY when GAY used to be on Tottenham Court Road next to Soho Square before it got knocked down for Crossrail. Oh, wow. And I'm trying to think what that building... Because it was like, the night was GAY, but the building was called something else. But I can't remember what the building was called now. Really a beautiful old building. And we queued in the snow for four hours. Fucking To hell. see Kylie. And I'm not that tall, mm. and I couldn't see a damn thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's small as well. And at the end of the thing, they released loads of balloons oh. with like CDs and stuff in. I mean, this would have been like 2003. A CD in a balloon? That yeah. sounds like an absolute death and trap. My friend is frightened of balloons. And she was like, get off the dance floor, there's too many balloons. <laughs> uh, that was pretty special. And I once went to a party where she was the star turn. Um, what kind of parties you get invited well, to? Well, you know, if you're a Tory, you get invited to shit like this. Yeah, you people got money. <laughs> you people got money and influence. But I noticed on the, the old Twitter this week that mm. you went uh, a little bit viral. Okay, let's please um, clarify what viral means. <laughs> viral in my mind is two retweets. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my notifications were popping off. I got something like 200 likes and 50 retweets. Which is, that is viral. I, I mean, it's not, Sarah, let's be honest. Okay. It's not viral, but it is in relative terms. It is it is for me. I think this is the thing that I want to talk about this week in the podcast, okay. right? Mm-hmm. This is, this is going to be the theme. Strap in, lads. Um, <laughs> Basically, right, I've noticed that there's a bit of a trend of 
coming up with very, very, very simple solutions to why we lost the general election, why Labour lost the general election, and candidates in the leadership race and the deputy leadership race are sort of throwing around these reasons as to why we lost the election with such great authority and coming up with solutions as to how we'll win the next one that I think show absolutely zero self-reflection and also end up often throwing staff under the bus. So what happened this week was Rebecca Long-Bailey in her leadership bid wrote an article that said, I mean, it said many things. It said, one, that we need to get out of this habit in the party of hiring people based on who you know, not what they know. So she sort of had a swipe at sort of nepotism. I don't think that's ever going to change in politics, but okay. And also bizarre, frankly, that she took a swipe at that when it's very much Jeremy's inner circle where that is Isn't she in the position that she's in because of nepotism, because she's pals with Corbyn? I mean, Sarah... Honest, like, yeah. It, it, yes, I mean, I know. <laughs> it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, um, an interesting target, but not one that I'm averse to. You know, it's, it's, a, it, like, I, I truly have seen the nepotism in the Labour Party staff and how completely absurd some of the kind of appointments are when you think Jesus you know you're earning a lot of money and the reason you are is because you go way 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 back with John McDonnell. You know, like you are an old time friend or you're a union bod and you don't know how to do this job necessarily and you're not a great people manager, but you've been given, you know, 100k a year to do X. And I I, I agree that that culture in the Labour Party is wrong. So that was the first thing she took a swipe at, which Uh is, you know, okay, odd for her to use that kind of target when it has benefited her. But anyway, fine. The second thing was that she had... Uh, she had sort of criticism of Labour's digital and Labour's targeting strategies. Which would have hit you where it hurts because your job was digital when you worked for the party. Yes, Hmm. precisely. So context, I was the social media manager for like the majority of Jeremy's leadership. I came in at the start of 2016 and I left um, summer of last year. And uh, like digital so often becomes this like bartering chip or like a really convenient alibi for so many things like it's very trendy it's very of the zeitgeist people like to talk about digital like they know what they're talking about so saying that labor's digital and targeting strategies were way off i think like completely like fails to recognize that targeting in the labor party and digital in the labor party is largely run by expert staff who have no right to reply and are either at sort of junior or mid-level positions within the party. But also your digital is part of the wider communication. Like your digital team isn't waking up one morning and going, oh, I've had a great idea, we're going to announce this policy. Mm -hmm. It's part of the grid of communication that's going to go out. And if there's a, I'm assuming, if there's a digital video talking about uh, nurses yeah it's probably because there's been a policy announcement saying you'll employ more nurses yeah. there'll probably be a leaflet that's going through people's doors in target seats on that vein of nurses exactly it's what maybe the leader would be doing a speech about so it's part of a a wider package yeah and also i think sometimes Absolutely. i don't know whether you would agree with this or not but i feel as though people misunderstand what digital is <laughs> And it's almost, Story of my life. it's almost as though someone says, oh, but we did a video. 
Um, yeah, but if you didn't share that video, if you didn't get the video into the right hands of people, yeah, then you may as well have not done it. Exactly. And I think that, like, you're right that digital isn't, you know, it wasn't that I dictated the digital strategy in terms of messaging. Would have been great if you did, because they would have done a lot better. <laughs> uh, thanks, babe. But, like, you know, it's, 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 the, it's the annoying thing of in 2017, which is when, you know, I had a significant hand in the social media strategy at the Labour Party, everyone went bananas afterwards saying, you know, Labour won the digital race and digital with Labour was the best it's ever been and completely blew the Tories out of the water, da-da-da. And at the time, obviously, I sort of basked in the glory of that and was very excited about it and it it was absolutely true in that our digital team was like exceptionally talented pulled together really effectively and were and were great communicators in 2019 the same team existed the same talent existed honestly there was almost no difference between the people in that team in 2017 and 2019 the only difference was I had left one of my colleagues who is exceptionally talented at at doing targeted social media. That was her responsibility. She left. They did not replace me. They did not replace her because of a hiring freeze, because of a severely reduced budget. Because the money wasn't coming in. Because there was no money. Mm. And the reason that you end up with a 2017 operation, which was like very good, and a 2019 operation that was good, is not down to the bloody staff who run those operations it's down to honestly strategic interventions at the very top of the organization messaging decisions that were way out of our hands i'm talking like my boss's boss's boss is making those decisions it's quite interesting how political parties peak and trough with their digital i remember going to the states some time ago and going to a talk on the digital campaigns that were out there because obviously everyone sees Obama's campaign in 2008 Mm. as this kind of groundbreaking moment but actually prior to that the Bush Jr. W. Bush Mm. uh, election in 2004 they'd been quite um, forward with their digital and they'd um, because it was social media wasn't you know, no. Facebook wasn't really existing there, but they had lots of online portals that people could go to and do calls and all those mm. kind of things. So they were beginning to do that. Mm. So they were really on it in 2004. And then the Republicans dropped, as it were. Mm. Then the Democrats became absolute well, groundbreakers, wasn't it, yeah. really, in terms of the fundraising that they did online, yeah. the uh, interaction with supporters online, both people who were willing to volunteer and just engaging with people. And also, obviously, by 2008, more people had Facebook and mm. all of those kind of things. People didn't really have Twitter. I don't think Twitter came until... 2008 was the yeah. first year of a Twitter yeah. election. I got my Twitter account in 2009, so oh, okay. I think it wasn't quite uh, as widespread at that point. The Tories were then, at that point, learning from what the Republicans had done, because obviously the Republican Party is the sister party Mm. of the Tories. Revolting. Well, quite, but, you know, that's sometimes you have to have uncomfortable bedfellows, especially (laughs) at the current time. Uh, And But also learning from what the Democrats were doing. And the the digital team in the Tories that time was hugely bolstered. Mm. But it was working in unison with all of the um, 
the the traditional let's call yeah. it traditional communications because if you think you know david cameron had oh what was it called now isn't it awful it's just fallen out of my head web cameron was that what it was web called cameron. oh my word right so when he was leader of the opposition this was before youtube even existed right david cameron used to film himself well like someone would film him i don't think he sure. was like doing a selfie with the video camera <laughs> and he would answer questions and all that kind of thing Ooh. and because youtube didn't exist at the time they'd then have to like embed the video onto a website like think how simple mm-hmm. it is now you just upload it to youtube mm. ping it's there so they had to do all this complicated computers it's probably not complicated but it is to me <laughs> and they would do that and it was like quite groundbreaking i feel as i've said groundbreaking a lot so maybe <laughs> no no it was just forward it. thinking at that time uh and then the, you know the, the the digital team was firmly involved with what the press team was doing mm. what the campaign team was doing it was very much there yeah and i think that was very clear in the 2010 election in 2015, I don't know what was going on. I was mm-hmm. very passive in that general election campaign <laughs> um, for, for various reasons. But I think if parties aren't willing to keep a pace with what's yeah. going on, yeah, because, yeah, Instagram and Twitter are really important. I bet for the mayoral election and for... You know, there's various mayoral elections this year, isn't there? There's London and there's West Midlands and mm. I'm sure others. TikTok might be the thing that people are focusing on. Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt that. But, well, maybe next year then. But, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, you have new, to keep up. something yeah. new is going to come. And if you're still focusing your digital strategy on Facebook and MySpace, then, <laughs> you know what I mean, Bebo, oddly yeah. enough, you know, it's not going to have any cut through. Yeah. I think that the, like, the the idea that you know digital is yeah this like kind of quick fix and digital is either like absolutely superb and can win an election or not is a nonsense because just as everything else in a campaign it has to fit into a wider winning strategy so if you've got absolutely rubbish messaging that does not chime with the british electorate that is going to be replicated on digital because that is the message that is the strategy and if that message and strategy is wrong then your digital is wrong do you know what i mean it's like i think it's such a nonsense honestly like i'm not going to mince my words here i think it's a real nonsense and frankly irresponsible for Rebecca Long Bailey to suggest that a digital operation she knows full well is run by a certain small group of staff who do not have the right to reply if that that digital team or that digital those decisions that were made by those people is responsible for the general election loss when all of the messaging all of the you know all of the sort of top strategic decisions were way above their heads I think that is honestly absurd and she knows that it's, it's just very a real, peculiar it's a on like and i know unfortunately how these things work you have tensions within labor hq and the leader's office between certain members of staff between certain factions within within you know staff teams or whatever and competence and ability and talent is not rewarded and instead what is rewarded is blind loyalty to the leader. I also don't think that the general public would appreciate that because the general public know why they didn't vote Labour. So then someone's saying, well, actually, it was that team over there, they didn't send enough tweets. The general public would be like, we don't care about that. It's just like, it's so navel gazy. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so internal looking when actually, like, the bigger picture here is that the targeting strategy, and like, this is something I said, like, 
on Twitter, which I'm, you know, very happy to like stand by and repeat. Like I sort of said this like ironically, you know, like, yes, you're right, Rebecca. The reason that Labour Digital, I say in air quotes, lost the election was because of absolutely severe, so, like, like critical under-resourcing and a lack of budget. I think somebody has recently come out and said that, you know, looking at the figures thus far, Labour spent something like eight million on their entire election campaign. And the limit that sort of like election it's 25 law. million. I think it's something like 19 or, or 20. It used to be 25. And that's yeah. in the 12 months leading up to the campaign. Well, there we go. If we didn't have 12 months and it was like shrunk, it would have been a proportion of that yeah. amount, I guess. But if it was something like, you know, 19 or whatever, we're talking like not even, we're talking half, we're talking like less than half the budget was spent. And that is because, unfortunately, due to mismanagement, again, from the very, very, very top, we're not talking about bloody financial officers in HQ who beaver away all day. We're talking about just a huge, significant decision. That was that was one of the reasons, and, and a hiring freeze because of that lack of money. Interference from the very highest level. Like, I used to spend, I'm not joking, Sarah, and you'll know this, I used to spend hours, hours per day firefighting and trying to climb down from bizarre, bizarre decisions from those who don't really know anything about digital, because you'd get, like, some executive director being like, I think we should tweet about this. And you spend four hours persuading them that's a bad idea, and then the the work that you were supposed to do has been completely derailed. Like, this is what happens, you know? Like, this is why you don't get that much out the door every day, because you're constantly firefighting from people who don't know. There does need to be a period of reflection, and I think elements of the not the Conservative Party, the Labour Party are doing that, aren't they? As to why they lost. Yeah, but I think honestly from both sides, and I don't particularly see myself as like factional, I don't have a faction, I'm not this, that or the other. Like in my time I've been called a trot, uh, you know, soft left and a centrist daddy. So, like, I really... <laughs> a I, centrist daddy, I like that. <laughs> I think, like, my... I mean, it doesn't... There's no such faction, but I think if I was going to, like, define my politics, it would be radical, pragmatic, and hell-bent on victory. Like, I'm yes, obsessed I would agree with, that. <laughs> with victory. Like, we need to get in government. That's what I'm primarily but interested is in. Is Ed Miliband not leading a uh, a feedback document or something uh, I heard him talking about it the other day where they're trying to get people from across the Labour Party uh, especially candidates that lost mm. MPs who lost their seats and what it was really like and yeah. if, they, if they do that well it will be an incredible piece of feedback because you know when the Tories lost in 97 mm. they were pretty broken and didn't have any money uh, and you know when they lost in 2001 they were pretty broken and didn't have any money Mm. and when they lost in 2005 you know I think that rebuild was really Mm. happening at that point Mm. what you don't want is to spend the next 10 years working out why it was that the red wall fell well I mean we could we could get into like a very long period of reflection I'd say on the one hand that's all well and good but if you know, if Ed Miliband's leading like a sort of feedback, um, like exploration and and reflection time, if he's leading that, but ultimately the NEC, which is Labour's sort of governing body, yeah. it's a bit like our trustee board, yeah. National Executive Committee, if they continue to be as 
you know totally narrow-minded and kind of totally like single vision as they are at the at present time based on who's on the nec then i think like there's no point in reflection because they nothing's gonna change yeah the people who are at the very very top of the organization currently reside in in jeremy's office those are the most senior staffers at the labor party people who are who who staff the leadership it will be quite interesting to see what happens in may because the new leader will take office you know Mm. take the Keys for Norman Shaw North on the, uh, which is where the leader of the opposition's office is. A suite of offices I know well. <laughs> uh, they'll take those keys on the 4th of April, I think it is, isn't it? They've then got four weeks, basically, to get ready for huge elections in London because the mayor of London's up for re-election. I'm yeah. sure that Sadiq will maintain that. Mm-hmm. They've got to have uh, all of the assembly members re-elected. I'm sure because it's London, they'll do reasonably well. But they've got the mayoral elections and they'll have some local elections. They only selected the um, West Midlands mayoral candidate, who's Liam Byrne, who's the MP for Birmingham Hodge Hill. So he's the Labour candidate for that. Now, he's Mm. quite moderate, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the West Midlands people have obviously decided, let's get someone. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens there because the West Midlands mayor is currently held by Andy Street who is a Tory uh, candidate. He used to be a big cheese at John Lewis. Um, I can't remember what size of big cheese but that was what (laughs) his job was. So yeah, there's there's a lot of work for the new leader of the opposition to get going with. Oh yeah. And if part of their, um, you know, first 72 hours in the job is making a whole load of people redundant and then bringing their own people in yeah they might have some problems because i would imagine that morale at party hq at the minute must be on the floor i mean i don't want to speak on behalf of colleagues because i'm not there anymore and i don't i don't know with you know i haven't seen this with my own eyes but like you know my very close friends who are still there people who i you know i'm still in contact with yeah they do describe morale as being particularly low especially when they see their work dragged through the mud imagine how frightening it be like you know whatever you think about like oh you shouldn't be you know beyond criticism okay fine but imagine you are you know uh, like an officer or a manager or whatever at the labor party you were hired because of your expertise you might have come from within politics you might not have you might have come from the charity sector like i did or wherever else and you've been you you work during a general election you work 12 13 14 15 hour days you slog your ass in the last, what, four or five years, we've had election after election after election after election. It's been unreal. Like, in the three and a half years I was there, I did the London mayoral, the EU. Uh, I went and worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign. Oh, did different. you? I didn't know that. Oh, we can talk about that another time. Because um, it's was... primary season <clears throat> at the minute. Oh, Sarah, put a pin in it. I, 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 I've got so <laughs> many thoughts about that. Um, that came came on honestly by election after by election because of so many various situations of people you know standing down whatever lots of local elections the general election of 27 or leadership elections oh my god two leadership elections you did have a lot of leadership elections in that time it was just you know it was just absolutely relentless and so if you're still there now especially if you also started before i did you'd have also had the scottish referendum yeah. And the first leadership election to get Jeremy there in the first place. And now you've had another general... I mean, morale is just... I can't... I remember in 2005, oh, after we lost uh, to Blair, this was when Michael Howard was the leader of the opposition, and it took weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks for people to kind of, like, pick themselves up. Because you've worked so hard. Yeah. And there's so much pressure. And you've 
sacrificed, you know, social time, family mm-hmm. time, whatever it might be. And then, you, you know, you've got to start again. And also when you don't have a leader, you are rudderless. And I know mm. obviously Corbyn is still the leader, but he's not offering huge amounts of direction at the minute, is he? So you're totally rudderless and you're trying to move things forward and you're like, well, let, we're going to wait. We're going to wait until mm. the new leader's in. So I can imagine that turning up to work at the minute must feel a bit frustrating. I would imagine a lot of people are spending time looking for other jobs so <laughs> i've never if you're listening to this whilst you're working at labor <laughs> hq just you know turn your screen so your boss can't see whilst you're looking on uh, i mean uh, there's a sites. real there's a real kind of unspoken uh, rule like everyone has each other's back but i've never met a more loyal workforce than the labor hq team and honestly you know what i was going to say i sort of got a bit distracted there was imagine you're that person who's put all of that time in you know you've worked there for however many years you've you've sacrificed so much and then to have politicians make broad sweeping throwaway comments or commitments about your work which could essentially see you made redundant and held but also impact on your future career so frightening it's it's it honestly is so unpleasant i do think it's naughty for politicians to do that i don't like it when staff end up getting thrown under the bus Mm -hmm. because more often than not They've just been doing as director, they're part of a team, you know, there should be a level of collective responsibility. And the reason why the politicians should take the fall is they've actively chosen to go... To be accountable. Yeah, completely. Now, obviously, I think if you're really senior, like after the 2017 election, when Theresa May's chief of staffs, Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill, they firmly got thrown under the bus. Mm. But they had put themselves in that position. They were earning a substantial amount of money. They'd been in charge of the election campaign. It had their fingerprints on it. So I can see why in that situation they got, but they received a lot of criticism. But, you know, Nick Timothy has forged uh, a wonderful career as a comment piece writer Mm -hmm. and is doing quite well. So, you know, there is always a second act for these people. This is the thing. I really, I really... um, I'm really serious about not having staff who don't have right to reply be thrown under the bus, be blamed, be scapegoated, you know, have their jobs like up for debate in like, you know, public discourse. I'm not up for that. Unless they've done something really naughty. There is the exception of, as you say, the most senior staffers, because, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't know how it works, because why would you? It's such a kind of like hodgepodge and a mess. and It's very private. But there are... I'd say two or three members of staff at Labour at the Labour Party who live in Jeremy Corbyn's team in his office. They are so senior that I think that they are they are appropriate for public scrutiny. And that is Seamus Milne, who's the executive director of mm-hmm. communications. Absolutely, definitely There's Carrie Murphy, who is the chief of staff. Who's about to be sent to the Lords, I think. Who's been given a peerage, yes. Which Allegedly, I'm... we haven't seen the list yet. Well, yes. I'm deeply I like to see worried facts. about that <laughs> yeah, yeah. if that turns out to be true and well I mean Jenny Formby is a member of staff but she's a political member of staff she's our general secretary so she is a public facing member of staff and yet her accountability is is yeah not up for debate as well so I think if you are those people then then fair enough you do need to be held accountable because even though you're staff yes you are so senior you are paid such an ex- extortionate amount of money that you make and you make decisions that honestly elect people or don't elect people that is the that those are the stakes that are in your hands and ultimately Seamus Moen and Carrie Murphy I think a lot of responsibility falls at their feet 
Definitely, definitely. I think also if we look at uh, senior members of staff of old, like Alistair Campbell, hmm. you know, he, he's a household name. He had more power than members of the cabinet. Exactly. And I think if you put yourself in their way, and I, I do think that Seamus Milne is pretty much a household name, people would know. Who I don't know. Is. I think we live in a bubble, mate. I think oh, really? I talk to people about Seamus Milne and I assume that they know who he is, but just because of like how much his name crops up in like media and stuff, and they don't. People know who Dominic Cummings is, though. Yeah, that. Um, I think he has made a bit of cut through because because he's such an enigma. He's a real character. He's a re- you know. Did you he's see that public. job job spec he put out the other day, Fucking the other hell. week rather, where yeah. it basically was like. Apply if you think you're a weirdo and um, you you don't you don't fit the normal mold. Are you bright? <laughs> Have you done other things? Uh, somebody actually messaged me and said, "Do you think I should apply for this?" Oh, Christ! And I was like, "Well, give it a crack." Like, <laughs> I can't really. There's, there's yeah. no downside, but I would imagine thousands would have applied. Oh, 100%. And like the fact that it went kind of viral as well because so it got viral. so much pickup. But the law of, of working it. in number 10 yeah is so great huge do you know i do i mean i feel frustrated for your uh, former colleagues that you know rebecca long has given them a bit of a kick and might be an indicator of what kind of leader she might be if she does win well indeed but working in politics is an amazing industry to work in mm-hmm. like it really really is it's so exciting it's so high pressured you get to do some really interesting things you get to meet the broadest spectrum of people ever in one day like you know you can literally go from meeting vips right the way through to the most vulnerable in society in a day like you get to see british society at its best at its worst Mm -hmm. and everything in between Mm -hmm. i would always recommend people that if they've got an interest in politics just go and work on it because Mm. it opens so many doors and it's so interesting but if you're not being supported by the party that you work for Mm. like i just find that um very frustrating and not what I've witnessed certainly I mean when I um I remember one time I had a problem I can't remember even what it was and I remember going to speak to the then kind of head of elections he sits in the lords now so he's very senior and I was like oh I'm a bit worried about this and he was like no problem is unsolvable don't worry Mm. we will work it out together Mm. and immediately it was like together as a team like everyone is protected Mm. and that's how it should be otherwise you're not going to look after each other as a team are you i think like yeah the on your point of you know working in politics is one of the most amazing experiences i'd just like to yeah like say the same really like the the thing about it i think is like it is life-changing and it's life-changing for the better and it's life-changing for the worse and you have to just make like you have to make a decision about whether or not you think the scrutiny the stress the anxiety the pain the loss is for you and for me it was for me for a couple of years and then I bowed out and I wouldn't have bowed out to be honest if it weren't for particular circumstances around the 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 culture at the Labour Party which again I do think is like partially down to the leadership it's because of the certain people who run that office that made it a very difficult unpleasant place to work but, you know, I've got colleagues who, or had colleagues at the Labour Party who have been there for 25 years, for 30 years, for 35 Lifers. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are some of, you know, you could say like, oh, they're institutionalised and they don't know But industry, they're the institutional memory. They're the knowledge. You yeah. need them. Like, I always think this, like, of course you need the whippersnappers who are going to come in and yeah. do the press and do the research and, you know, change things up. 
But you need someone who's like, right, well, th- this is all of the knowledge on elections yep. and how we process elections and mm-hmm. how we get all the candidates registered. Mm-hmm. You need that. Now, if the leader were to change, which we know it's going to, mm. and the culture of Labour HQ was to change, mm-hmm. would you want to go back and work there? I'd have to really, really think about it because my life now has totally adapted to the fact that I have way more brain space, better mental health. I work sleep better. Yeah, I yeah. sleep better. I eat better. I exercise. I have a four Enjoy day... bank holidays. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I get bank holidays off. Good I can Friday. take holidays. Oh, my word. <laughs> Ooh, crazy. Yeah, for people who aren't aware of politics, uh, I'm sure you all are, uh, it's unlikely that you get... Good Friday to yourself because it's just before the May elections. elections. So more often than not, you are traipsing round a town somewhere mm-hmm. delivering leaflets oh, on yeah. Good Friday. It was always the um, it was always the classic joke of whenever we put out. I think I might have said this in another episode. Whenever we put out sort of bank holiday, f- Labour's policy for new bank holidays on all of our patron saints. It was just the internal joke that like yeah, it's for for new bank holidays for everyone except Labour staff. Yeah, four days that we're working and not getting exactly paid for it. brilliant. Yeah, exactly, brilliant. like, hooray. <laughs> well, I hope that all the Labour leaderships have listened to this and have taken on board, leadership candidates, I should say, have taken this on board and firmly have it in have a commitment to be loyal and supportive to all their staff. And just as, be, ref- as as, and be reflective. Like, yeah. the reason digital wasn't what you expected it to be or whatever is probably down to a really poor set of strategic decisions which they were not in control of or just dreadful policies but yeah. exactly that's what i mean <laughs> strategic policies. decisions messaging well i don't think rebecca bailey is, rebecca long bailey rather is on our kind of list of people um that we're, we're keen on but I guess I should ask you who who you're shouting out to to your ex as we we call this, or uh, who across the aisle mm. has done something this week that you've thought, oh, you're not a bad egg, you're a good egg. Yeah, I've got a bit of a, a rogue one because it's not a Tory. We like a rogue one. It's we just like somebody that one. I don't normally like, but somebody I do like. Philip Schofield. How can you not like Philip Schofield? <sighs> So he 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 grinds my gears because he's just very 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 ignorant. Like he asks guests some really ignorant things and is a bit sort of doe-eyed. Like I remember when he asked recently like <clears throat> or suggested recently he had a guest and I don't remember her name which is really naughty of me, but she was a guest who was talking about institutional racism mm. and racism in society. She's a academic and a commentator. I saw this interview. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. It went viral. He she, basically got her to explain yeah racism racism he was like oh, justify I don't, it i don't see you know i'm not i can't say i've ever seen this like what can you give me some examples like he asks things like that and it's like i'm sure he just thinks he's you know curious and trying to like get to the bottom of things but asking a woman of color to explain or to justify or to like validate or pr- you know prove her re- like racism he he is so he is so often saying things like that and i just think you know on national more like television asking those type of questions it really does validate people not believing people interestingly of color. i was at a lunch on sunday and we were talking about Meghan markle and we we're talking about institutional mm, yes racism. that was what it was about and someone was like oh i don't think they were racist and i was like oh my god i said it doesn't matter whether you do it was i said in the same way women know when people are sexist yes exactly I said, it's a bit like when you're at work in the work kitchen and somebody walks in who's new and you're the only woman there, even though there's plenty of men, and they ask you where the milk is. Mm-hmm. 
we know as women it's sexist but yeah. all the men just go yeah but you were nearest the fridge yeah i wasn't and i was just like uh, and all the women at the table were like oh my god yes 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 so i yeah i did see that interview but what what what's philip schofield done well, i do it, already know well he's, he's come out as gay and like i think that his statement and the interview that he had with Holly actually on the on the TV was incredibly brave. Like he said that, you know, it's been like the most painful experience for himself, for his wife. He's been married for 27 years to a woman. He's got two adult daughters and they've had to come to terms with him being gay. Obviously, that's completely that's completely thrown a thrown a really difficult like situation into their family and I think it's really brave actually to like come out and be your true self when you've essentially been closeted for a very long time and you must be in his 50s well I'd imagine so yeah so I think like Philip Schofield you're not usually my cup of tea because you're a bit ignorant and you don't educate yourself on things props to you and fair play and good luck to you totally agree um Delighted for him. No doubt this is a very difficult time for his family. Yeah. But they sound like they're a very good family unit and I'm sure that they're all supporting each other. They sound incredibly supportive. Yeah. Who who are you shouting out to? Well, I'm going to shout out uh, Tracy Brabin. Is that how I pronounce her name? Yeah, Brabin Brabin. Um, Because she was in... It's a Labour MP. Labour MP for uh, Batley. Batley and Spen. Yeah, yeah. Crumbs. I've suddenly lost where where she was there. Um, She's currently the Shadow Culture Media and Sport minister or something sure. I think. yeah let's say she is we've, pro- <laughs> we've either promoted you or demoted you i'm sorry uh and she was speaking at the dispatch box this week and she had a black dress on that was kind of one shoulders and the internet lost their mind mm-hmm. because apparently a woman showing a shoulder is akin Ooh. to i don't know blasphemy or treachery or something but the reason that I'm shouting her out is she's owned it. Because first off, she went on Twitter and was kind of like, I am none of the following, and then listed, you know, a tart, an alcoholic, sleeping in a bin, all these things. So she kind of was quite punchy, which mm. I really liked. And now what she's done is she's put the dress on eBay uh, just before we, we we came into the studio, uh, slash my living room. Uh, <laughs> she It was a, just over two grand. And all the money that she's raising for it, she's giving to the Girl Guides. Lovely. So I just think... Good on you. You bought a dress for 30 quid from ASOS and you wore it, had a lovely time wearing it. Mm -hmm. And now um, an organisation that does so much to help girls, the Girl Guides, is going to get some cash. So if you are listening to this before the eBay... auction bit auction that's it the auction, <laughs> ebay bid the ebay auction has expired get on and buy yourself a dress that you could get on asos for 30 quid for two and a half grand <laughs> <laughs> yeah think of it as just like the biggest charitable gift yeah you'll look, ever you can give. write it off on your taxes probably so it'd be oh, fine. probably yeah yeah fair play tracy brobin i think honestly like it's so archaic and absurd to suggest that you can't wear a bloody dress that reveals a shoulder like a human woman's shoulder has absolutely made everyone go into meltdown like get a fucking grip Oh, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of people telling me what I can and can't wear for different situations. Just wear what you want. And ideally, if I could wear trainers everywhere, I'd be a lot happier. Indeed. Have you got anything exciting on this week? Going to Leicester. Leicester Comedy Fest. Oh, yes. Literally, as soon as we finish recording this, we are literally scurrying to the train station to go to Leicester because it is the Leicester Comedy Festival. The LOL Word is on Friday evening Yeah, Friday night, 8pm at the Cookie. So if you hear this in time and you're in Leicester, come come along. Uh, I have got my show uh, on Sunday at KL, which I believe to be a restaurant. 
uh, at 4.40 on Sunday the Lovely. 9th. I'm also doing a show called A Political Breakfast at 11am on Saturday and Sunday morning, so come along to that. But if you want to find out more about Leicester Comedy Festival, go to, well, just Google Leicester Comedy Festival. <laughs> so come on board it is. If you want to get in touch, get in touch via Twitter. I'm at Sarah Southern. Chloe is at underscore Chloe Green underscore, because mm-hmm. she loves an underscore. Love and it. hashtag us with the After Party. After Party Podcast. After Party Podcast. Get Chloe right, Sarah. Chloe knows, knows more than me. Uh, <laughs> and we'll be back next week, but have a wonderful week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Toodle pip. <laughs>